0: Let's all stand together in our reading of the word. I, I'm going to do this though, is um, I'm going to read, just because it's been so long, I've realized, wow, we've been marinating in this area of Romans 8, uh, these, fir- these few verses that it'd probably be good for you, for you to hear read the full context that's before us. Uh, and then I'm going to have you jump in. Don't worry, listen up, and then I'll cue you as to when you can start reading. But on the screens, and I'll read uh, from verse 1 to 11. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin in Death, notice how he speaks in past tense you 've been freed for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He, Jesus, condemned sin in the flesh. in other words, what none of our flesh could do by keeping the Ten commandments don 't even fool yourself for a second. You and I cannot even get close to the Ten Commandments. Jesus came and met all of the standards of the Ten Commandments, both actively and in spirit. And in that, he did it as a human being. That's awesome. That's why he's our prototype. That's why he has gone before us. And that's why he can condemn sin in the flesh. Verse 4, That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Capital S. Holy Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, earthly minded, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God at war with God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then... Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if or since indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. In other words, you may be religious, but you're not going to heaven. You may be religious, but you're not a true Christ follower, so be careful of that. Verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised up or raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I will read verse 12, if you pick it up in verse 13 and the odd number of verses. Therefore, brethren, We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. The Spirit himself, that is the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit, that's our eternal self, the person that dwells within you, not your skin, that we are children of God. And all God's people said, amen, Amen. you may be seated, church. It's been a little while since we've been here, and we're looking at a message series titled, It's Time You Quit." That's the subtitle of what Paul is saying in the book of Romans. It's not only the glorious victory that's in Christ, it's how it's experienced. And it's experienced by you and I quitting to thinking that you and I can somehow reform ourselves and improve ourselves into becoming acceptable to God. That is something that is impossible. That for God to send His own Son into the world to die on the cross for our sins and to pay that price that you and I could never pay, that Jesus paid for us with His own blood, I thank God it wasn't any currency. Aren't you glad? It wasn't some sort of financial transaction. Isn't that sick? Think about how carnal that is. If you just give enough money, then you can do this or that. Hey, listen, in church history, there's been those movements where if you give money, you can, even, you can even do whatever sin you want as long as you give enough money. No, thank God that that is all false doctrine. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, and he paid the sin debt for all mankind. But listen, in that comes the great blessing or the great cursing. With the opportunity presented to you of eternal life, what will you choose? To those who have chosen Christ, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God lives in you and that your sins have been washed away and that God's righteousness has been given to you. But to those who reject the offering of Christ's salvation, then and now you can see and understand why hell is so justifiable they took the perfect gift of God and threw it back in his face, leaving themselves hopeless with no way of being rescued. Hell is eternal, the Bible says. Thank God, heaven is eternal. And the Bible tells us it's up to us to respond to God's offer. And the book of Romans is written to those who have said yes to Christ. And so there are so many great promises. We looked at this in our previous studies, that we are not to just do something, we are to stand there. We're not to be busy about doing religious things, we are to stand there, meaning, in what God has done for us. And we saw that we are to stand in God's debt. He paid the price, we owe Him with our lives. Somebody say amen to that. We owe Him with our lives forevermore. We also saw that we stand in His life now. We used to, we, we used to do stuff and something that was actually called by the Bible death. We were very, very busy about doing things that led to our spiritual decay. We lived in this world. We lived according to the flesh and we loved it until God convicted us. And then suddenly we woke up to the fact that we needed Jesus. We needed forgiveness and we came into his life. We saw also that we stand in his family, and that family is a family that he has given us. It's quite unique. Listen, we must be born again into the kingdom of God, but it's a spiritual birth. That action, Romans 8 tells us, is through adoption. Sounds like a contradictory term, right? But it's not. In God's spiritual family, All of us who are in that family have been adopted by the Spirit of God into the family of God. So not only were we born into the family of God, but we were adopted, which I love, which means God, according to Scripture, picked you. And you say, well, what if he doesn't pick my neighbor? Come back when we get to Romans 9. We'll talk more about that. But we're in the family of God. And then we jumped into this. It was the second point. We got through the first part of it, and it's this, don't just talk about it, say it. And we learn that in verses 15 to 16, that what God has done for us, we are to not only believe it, we are to, in a sense, repeat it, and we are to live it, and we are to stand firm in that truth. And we saw this, when we talk about saying it, don't talk about religion, we don't want to talk about church. I don't know if you're visiting here for the first time or not, but the last thing the people around you want to do, I agree with them, and that is we could do a whole lot of other things on a morning like this than to come and just be religious. Who needs that? What we want to do is experience the true awesome power of the living God. Listen, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then there is no salvation. We have no hope, so let's leave. What's the old saying? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There is no eternity. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. And that's the thinking of the world. But Christ is risen from the dead, and that changes everything. And so we don't want to talk about it. We want to say it. We want to say it to the world. And we say this. This is what we looked at last time, is that the Lord has called you his own. Oh, this gets beautiful. The Bible there said to us in our previous study, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Notice God did not save you to put you in a place of fear. In fact, if you understand your great salvation that is upon your life, fear dissipates. I'm not being cavalier when I tell you this. Fear has no place in the life of a believer. That doesn't mean we're ignorant. It doesn't mean that we're not aware of the science. It doesn't mean that we're not aware of the weather. It doesn't mean that we're not aware of the economy. We're aware of all those things, I believe, probably more in tune than most people. But we're not held by fear. The world has never been a scarier place to live in, in my opinion. But the Christian has no fear. The Bible tells us that we are to fear one, and that is God and Him only. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who can kill you, but rather be in fear of him who can both take your life and send your soul to hell. Wow. That verse goes on, verse 15, but you receive the spirit. Notice the contradiction. There's the bondage of the spirit of fear, but there's the liberty of the spirit of adoption. He says, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Remarkable, beautiful thing. And we looked at this, church, Abba, Father. It's the Aramaic word. Mark this verse down if you would. It's Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you he made alive. He's speaking to the Christian And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. A reference to Satan. It's pretty creepy, right? He's the prince of the power of the air. Atmosphere. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Thank God, though. Listen to Galatians 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. Listen, ask yourself, is that true of your life? Well, Pastor Jack, how can I know? Because you will be preempted or prone to cry out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's good news. That's awesome news. One more time. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. This is a profound statement, church. The Holy Spirit is speaking nonstop 24-7-365. The word implies continually to you, the believer. The Holy Spirit is bearing witness. He's speaking to you and to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. That is a powerful statement. I know there's a lot of talk these days about you can think whatever you want to think as long as you don't go do it. The Bible says no way. The Bible says what you think about, you wind up doing. And it matters what you think. It matters what you uh, meditate on. It matters what you fantasize about. God sees and God knows. But the born again heart, the new heart, is a heart that Is changed because the spirit of God and the spirit of adoption dwells within us. What a glorious thing. We are owned by the living God. And so church, we pick it up where we left off. And here it is. It's this. Mark it down. It's in verse 16. And it's this that we are to say. It's that the Lord has called you by name. I love this part. My name's Jack. It means nothing. But God's got a new name according to the Bible for my life. Whatever your name is, the Bible says, when you and I show up in heaven, we're going to get a new name. Now, some of you may have some. I met last, listen, I met recently uh, who was visiting from Canada, Anastasia. What a name. Now, I don't know what that name means in Canadian, but in Russian, it means resurrection. That's awesome. What's Jack mean? I don't know. But I know this, God knows my name. He knows my real name. He knows your real name. And uh, that's one of the great thrills about getting to heaven. Our own Pastor Lynn's got a new name now. Down here we, we think of him as Pastor Lynn, but as I mentioned earlier before the service to all of you, he's got a whole new address now. And he's in heaven and he's got a new name. So listen, by name, God knows you. And it says in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. The Holy Spirit is in union with our human spirit if we're born again, if the Spirit of God lives within us. And I wrote myself this note to keep myself under control. And it's this. For those of you who are watching right now and and you have our notes on page four, I wrote this down. I say this humbly, thankfully, gratefully, yet with all confidence that this bears witness is for your peace security and confidence is the greatest most assuring thing that i've experienced in my life i mean that sincerely mark it down bears witness two words in english one word in the greek language and it means this it means to legally and officially give testimony which is admissible or eligible to be entered into the records of the court technically the word court should be capitalized it implies god's court The Holy Spirit, for you, the believer, he knows you by name, and he is bearing witness before the courtroom of God that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. That should set you free. That should cause you to sit up straight and get excited about the world in which you and I have been deployed into. This is not heaven. Now look, Lisa and I just got back from a trip away with our kids, and we went up to... uh, Washington state which yes it's true it's just as liberal as it is here but when you get outside of the city it's really frankly when you get outside of the city it's just as conservative as it is here. Listen, you get out of L.A. and you get out of San Diego and you get out of Oakland and San Francisco and Sacramento and you find out there's people who actually think. And, uh, and we experience the same thing. And, uh, we went to a place called Gig Harbor. Have you ever heard of Gig Harbor? Strange name, beautiful place. Now, don't go there now that I've said it. We want to make sure it stays quiet and quaint. So the next time we go, it's, it's just as quiet and quaint. But the amazing thing about it is, you know you've gone to a good place when you don't want to leave. But might I remind you that this is not heaven? We're in a battlefield, friends. We're in a battleground. This whole world is. And you and I are children of the Most High God. Listen, our citizenship, the Bible says, is in heaven. But yet, we're still here in this world. And that's why we're battling light and darkness and evil and good. We must. The Holy Spirit within us compels us to confront things. We'll talk more about this in a moment. But understand this. It's very personal to me. And I'm fighting the temptation to make this really dramatic. I'm trying to be calm here. But for you and I and for many of us in this nation, in this community, this portion of scripture should delight us that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. It means God's got a testimony that is in real time regarding the things that you and I are living through. And when COVID hit, or I should say, when politics hit a flu virus, pastors closed their churches because, frankly, they were political. Certain governments said, shut down your churches, and they immediately obeyed politics instantly. Are you with me? I know you are, because many of you came from those churches. But what happened? People ran away seeking the light and the truth and the word of God. They wanted to know what the Bible says about times like this. Listen, I know that there's a bumper sticker that says when the going gets tough, the tough go shopping. No, listen, when the going gets tough, the Christian goes to the word of God. And listen, when churches shut down, which might have been the best thing for some of those churches, I should say for the people that attended them, people ran. And they ran to the truth, no matter where, where they were in the world. They ran to the truth. Why? Because the Spirit of God has got your name. You ran to the truth. God was dealing out food, and you got in line, and you ate up the Word of God. Why? Because He's got your name. And you've been made anew, and the Holy Spirit lives in you. God knows your name. And I love that. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. Acts 1 verse 3. He also presented himself, that is Jesus, alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Don't you love that? Truth, the power of God. God. This God who came and died and rose again from the grave is exactly the God that you need, and thank God. For those of us, he has our name, it's the God that we have. Our God came, he suffered and died, and he rose again from the dead, sign me up. Right, think about it. The alternative, I hope, is unacceptable to you, and that is be religious. Join a group, join a church, join a cult. Go do your thing. Listen, I'm staying right here in the Bible. Right here in the word of God. He did it. He's going to see to it. He's going to get it done. It's him who came and died and rose again from the grave. All the things that concern you in this world, Jesus did. You break the grave, you conquer death, that's the God you want. And that's the God that we have if he's our Lord and Savior. But notice this out of Acts chapter 1 verse 3. Convincing proofs. That means confirming evidences, multiple things, which, of course, come from God, which are immutable facts. They don't change. Psalm 100, verse 3. Psalm 100, verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, not we ourselves. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank God we didn't make ourselves. First of all, we can't, but a lot of people, in a way, think that they have. Maybe they're evolutionists. This is, By the way, this is a really amazing time. You and I are living through this time right now. It's thrilling. Because you're either Christian or you're not. Have you noticed gray area is gone? I love it. There's no way now for you can hide in the shadows. There's no shadows anymore. You're either a follower of God or you're not. And for those who are not, they're having a rough time explaining things that are going on around the world. And then we as believers are going, "Mm mm-hmm, wow. Wait, what's the headline? Breaking news. Oh, wait. Oh, wow. Wait, this is going on in Israel. Hang on, wait, hang on. Oh, yeah, wow. Oh, World Economic Forum, Cash Society, put a mark in your right hand. Wait, what? Oh, wow, thank you. It's all here. It's all here. What an amazing God. Isaiah 49 verse 1 says, The Lord has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother. Excuse me, hello, wait a minute. This is a 3,000 year old statement. I don't even know if they knew back then that a female, the uterus, the female, the woman, has a matrix. This matrix. Isaiah, the prophet, under the inspiration of God, speaks biology. His statement is 100% admissible in the court of medical practice. Did you know that? The Bible says, I've called you from your womb. I brought you forth from the matrix of your mother. He has made mention of my name. Now, this is a reference to the Messiah, but it's true about us as well. Is there convincing proofs? Confirming evidences and immutable facts regarding our relationship with God? Oh yes, absolutely. The Holy Spirit is one with our spirit until Christ calls us home. And that word spirit, by the way, in both places here is the word that uh, we get pneumatic. You know what a pneumatic tool is, anybody? You go to a shop and they plug their tool in and you hear them go, whoop, whoop. Right, they take the the nuts off the uh, wheel and all that. You see the the cars come in for a pit stop in a race, and you hear all of that sound. Right? You know what that is? That's air-driven tools, pneumatic. This is the word in the Greek. The believer, in association with the Holy Spirit, we are (laughs) air-driven. We are driven by the power of the Holy Spirit to be moved, empowered by the air. Air-driven, wind-driven, the breath that resides within the human soul, the observable and active consciousness of life. There's nobody in this room right now or watching right now that can deny the fact that you've got a consciousness. Listen, if you deny that you have a consciousness, you need to, get, you need to hang up now, turn off the TV and dial 911. You have a consciousness. And the Bible says that comes from God. God has given that to you. You are air-driven, as it were. And that's never been more true than for the life of the believer. The Holy Spirit air-drives my life. Air-drives your life, as it were. Now, I like that because if you've ever seen an air-driven tool, it's literally worthless until it's plugged into the air source. Look, this world says we're worthless. Sometimes we say of ourselves, I'm worthless. Well, I want to encourage you, get plugged in. The Spirit of God would love to plug you into his power, his source. It's amazing. What a beautiful, beautiful thing that is. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4, this is a life verse for me personally, I'll explain maybe a little bit, but Jeremiah 1 verse 4, young people today, if you're listening, please take this seriously, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, listen, I was a brand new Christian when I read that, and I cannot tell you right now how much comfort that brought me. It was reading that verse that began to cause my life to have some sense. I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a youth. I'm just a teenager. But the Lord said to me, do not say that you are just a teenager or a young person. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Air driven. Air driven. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you. Is that awesome? Listen, friends, I believe this with all of my heart. If this is, listen, if this is not true, I'm out of here. For 46 years, I have derived strength from what's being said here. And it's not reserved for me only. It's for, it's for anyone who will take that truth and say, that's it. I'm going to... My name is known to God. His spirit dwells within me. And I'm going to live my life for him. And I'm going to quit calling the shots. And I'm going to let him live his life through me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be air-driven from this moment forward. I tell you what. God will expel fear from your life. He'll give you purpose and vision. And once, as Jesus said, you put your hand to the plow... He says, don't look back. Now, we don't do plows anymore, but what happens is when you put your hands on a plow and you're moving forward, if you look back, you automatically turn. Okay, I don't know if you've ever driven a fast car, but there's, you never look over your shoulder when you're driving a very fast car. Did you know that? Never do that. You'll, you'll wake up dead. <laughs> <laughs> Just the turning of your neck turns the wheel. Don't do it. Jesus says, don't look back. Keep moving forward. Beautiful. He says there, do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Verse 9, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Behold, I have set Or I have this day set you over the nations. Young people today, you should mark that portion of scripture and pray that into your life. Ask God, Lord, do you want to do that in my life? I believe there's convincing proofs, confirming evidences, and immutable facts. Because God is God. He's talking about in Romans 8, us being one with him. Which means we should be able to observe God's fingerprints in the life of the true believer. That should be admissible into court. Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes saw my substance, yet being unformed. By the way, this is a big pro-life verse. You know that? Well, I have my opinion. God doesn't care. He does, literally does not care what our opinions are about the life, the abortion, the pro-choice, pro-life issue. He doesn't care about what your opinion is. What he does care, he cares about what side you're on. God says, I knew your, your, I knew your everything. I knew your, your, I knew your DNA before it was ever put together. I'm God. That shouldn't surprise any of us because when Mr. Mercedes and Mr. Benz got together, you know, before Mercedes Benz came off the assembly line, they, they sat down first and they drew it out on a piece of paper. Did you know that? Those things were all crafted first on a piece of paper that was capturing what was in the minds of the men, the designers. It went from an invisible world onto paper and then out of the assembly plant. Are you with me? The same is true about you. God thought of you, He had you in mind. And He crafted you. Where did He do the crafting? In the assembly plant. Who's that? Your mother. So be nice. It's always funny. And I look, I used to be guilty of that. I don't do that anymore. But kids mouth off to their mothers. Do you realize that's not a good thing to do because you actually came from her. There used to be a comedian. I won't, I won't mention his name. He used to say this. He said, listen, your mom and I, we brought you into this world and it is certain we can take you out. Well, nobody can say that better than God. But he knows. And in your book, they were all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. God knows you, he knows your name, and he knows the days of your life. Also this, Galatians 1.15. But when it pleased God, Paul said, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace... Why am I alive? I don't even know what I'm alive for. Because God has a plan. If that's your question, then you need to find out what God's plan is because you clearly don't know what it is. I'm depressed. Get in line. It happens to all of us. But the Christian needs to repent of it and get back with God again. God's never depressed. Yeah, but I'm prone to that. My wife, I told you this before. I can say this because she's not here right now. She'll be at second service, so it'll be a different service. Lisa's like this. You can imagine I'm like this. You know how squirrels go up and down in a tree? That's me. And uh, on, after third service, driving home, I'm very depressed. Why? Because I, I preached the sermon in my head the way it ought to come out. It doesn't come out. So on the way home, I've got three torturous... Things to go through. And that's three services. Why did I say that? And then why didn't I say this? Are you hearing me? It's brutal. You got to leave it with God. No matter what's going on in your life, you got to leave it with God. And the people who decide to leave it with God, they live strong, fruitful lives by the Lord, through the Lord, because they've placed it with the Lord. And uh, we need to remember that. Psalm 71, verse 6. But you, I have been, by you, I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise uh, shall continually be of you. Worship and praise. So I'm going to read this right now because I want it to come out right. Under the fact that God calls you by name. We should revel in that. And here it is. There are those who I believe mean well, but in their concern regarding spiritual experiences. Because, you know, for God to say I know you by name, don't you think that's pretty personal? Should you have a reaction to that? Well, listen. There are those who are concerned about spiritual experiences or encounters with God... They, I believe that they have completely and ther- thoroughly thrown the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. I appreciate their concern, but frankly, the lack of faith to trust in God with His church and with His people is what we're seeing. Christianity by design is a family, and that demands and even requires that the follower of Christ experience Christ in the most personal way. Church, did you hear what I'm saying? There's a big deal right now today that people are saying, watch out, no, you should not have any, you should be basically a theologian. Study the Bible, just study the Bible, and when you're done, you'll have all this knowledge, and then you go to work and you've got all this knowledge. I'm all for that, plus the conclusion. I believe that if you study the Bible, that you're going to bump into God. You're going to find him in the midst of his pages. And you're going to find out that he says things like this. Before you were ever born, I knew you. How should that affect you? You should say, well, that's pretty awesome. It's God who says, I called you forth from your mother's womb. Well, that means you must have a purpose. It's all good. Think of this. How can that true be true? And it is true. But how can it not affect you? People will say, in theological circles, experiences are bad. Are you kidding me? There are some bad experiences that are not based upon the Bible. Stay away from them. But when Moses encounters God at the burning bush, do you think Moses came down to the mountain and wrote a 10-volume set on how to converse with God when he's in a bush? It had to have affected him. It changed the course of his life. And Christian, I want to challenge you today. Don't pull back from God wanting to affect your life. I don't agree with those who say experiences are wrong. If you put your relationship based on the experience, that's wrong. Your relationship with God is based on faith in Christ. Because it's, it's what he's done. But after that, when God turns to you and says, this is why I did it, Jack. Because I love you. What are you supposed to say to that? Yes, sir! <laughs> no, I think more theologically accurate would be the Hebrew word, aw. No, it's a joke. It's not Hebrew. I'm just saying. <laughs> you should say, oh, Wow. Have we grown up so much that we cannot embrace an experience with God, so long as it's biblically based? When Jesus was walking on water in the midst of a storm, Peter was so touched by that. Peter said, "Lord, if that's you, bid me to come to you," which is a radical thing. Peter says, "Is that?" Remember that all the guys were in the boat freaking out because they said it's a ghost. You know, read it later. Jesus is walking on the water in the midst of a storm in in the midnight of the Galilee. And they thought they were going to die because they said, it's a ghost. The Jews believe that just before you pass, you start to see spirits. So the disciples are saying, that's it, we're going down. Peter is the only one. We beat up on Peter. We make fun of him all the time. God bless Peter. Peter says, which I agree to, is, I want to get away from these guys. We're all going to die. I don't need to hear them. You know? Peter says, Lord, if it's you, invite me to walk on the water with you. What a brilliant request. Number one, Peter knows only Jesus would do something so radical. And Jesus must have extended his hand or says, come. And Peter steps out. And he's walking on the water to Jesus. And it was amazing. It was amazing until the Bible says Peter then looked away. <laughs> he Remember? He, he had the wheel in his hand, so to speak. And he's driving to Jesus, walking on the water. And he turns and he swerves. And the Bible says he starts to sink. And it's the shortest prayer in the Bible, by the way. Lord, help. And the Bible says immediately, God rescued him. But friends, listen. Uh, Acts 4, verse 31. How can you dare read this and say that you can't experience this God who has made things so personal, even calling you by name, when Acts 4, 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Why? Why? Because they were affected by what was going on. They experienced God. And I'm for the experiences of God so much as they are rooted and grounded in the Bible. Now look, when people are running around barking and and goofing off and going nuts, falling forward, falling backward, uh, saying, oh, look at the gold dust. If you have enough faith, you can see gold dust falling from the sky. Really? Really? I don't think so. But if your experience is one that originates in God, you're in a safe place. But don't conjure things up. That's the work of the flesh. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's a great verse, huh? 2 Corinthians 3 verse 12 says, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Why? Because we're in God's family, and he knows our name. Now, I want to stress right now, if you don't have that confidence, I want to ask you, don't say it out loud, but I want to ask you, why do you not have that confidence? Number one, it may be, again, that you are thinking that your relationship with God is bound up in your church membership, and thus that produces no confidence, or some deed or some acts of yours produces no confidence. Maybe you're not a Christian. And of course, you're insecure about this. You have no confidence. But if you're a born-again believer and you don't have confidence in what God has said, why is that the case? Dear friend, listen. You need to shed. You need to get away from the things that are pulling you down in your life and keeping you sequestered, as it were, from spiritual growth. Are you guys listening? Vitally important. So before we move on to this, this... Issue about the, the new name. Revelation chapter 2 verse 17. Jesus is speaking. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone. And on the stone a new name, which no one knows except him who receives it. That's a promise to the church and to the believer. You're going to have a new name. Revelation three twelve. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will, or he shall go out no more. I will write on him, amazing. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. By the way, the, the, the town, the city that Jesus wrote that to in the book of Revelation, it had pagan practices and pagan rites and rituals, and that worship system of that city was known for people to be tattooed with the name of the god or gods that they were devoted to by their parents. Their parents dedicated them to these various gods. So on the back of somebody's neck or on the back of their body, there would be the stamp or the tattoo of Zeus. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't it amazing? Jesus says, I'll redeem you. And oh, by the way, up until now, you've been owned by Zeus. Guess what? I'm going to write my name on you. Don't tell me that you hear that and you can't experience the goodness of God. I love it. Lord, write whatever you want on me. And then finally, verse 16, say it means... The Lord has called you his child. His child. Radical, biblical doctrine. Rarely, if at all, found in the Old Testament. God speaks and says, you're my child. To an individual. It says there in verse 16 that we are children of God, We do not appreciate this, church. I promise you, we do not appreciate this as, as we ought. We are called here in the Bible, children of God. Belonging. You know why people join gangs? I didn't know this. People join gangs. I'm reading a book right now. I don't know why. I was talking to a TSA agent at the airport. She started talking about security training measures and what they go through. And I was fascinated. And she said, you got to get this book. So I, I got it. And I'm almost done with it. And it's all about, uh, a lot of it has to do with belonging. I didn't know this about a gang. You know, there's all kinds of gangs, by the way. And I didn't know this. I thought, you know, gangs, you know, low cars and tattoos everywhere or hats a certain way and signs, you know, like right now I could be, right now I could be giving some gang sign that I'm not aware of. <laughs> um, I don't know what I just said. Why? Why why why? Why all these codes? Why all these things? They're listen, they are um iconic communications they called it. Iconic communications of belonging. I didn't know this, but graffiti is literally the stamping of regions of turf that's owned by a certain gang. And um, why do they do this? Because you strip away everything from Al-Qaeda, ISIS, gangs, things like that. Listen, even in some cases in the positive sense, a judge may see that a young man is erring and he's not going the right direction and he's parentless. And the judge can order this young man, you will sign up for the U.S. military, pick a branch. But that's, that's what I am ordering for you. You need... What is he saying? You need a family. And there's a connection. People are in gangs because of a need for a family. And here's the beautiful thing about God. It doesn't matter where you're at in the universe. If you, can be, you can be right now in and out of a gang or in and out of prison. God says, I want you in my family. I want to give you a new name. You're my child. And I believe in the 21st century today, that's the great healing for America, is for people to wake up and realize God wants you in, your, in his family. And Paul says it as a matter of fact that we are the children of God. This is your Bible, people. Children of God. The word in Greek is teknon. It means young male or young female, child, son or daughter. In this case, the offspring of God. By the way, the word implies this, a child of God, but in a mature state. Interesting. It's kind of fun. You know, if you have a child, that your child is your child, but if you have a last will and testament or a living trust, if you were to die today, your child might be eight years old, but your child has all the powers and the benefits of an adult. Are you hearing me? You did that by writing to them in your last will and testament. In the Bible, it's called the New Testament which is the writings, as it were, of God as to who you are and what you inherit. Remarkable. Listen, there's something that is known as autological, and it means this. For the believer, because God is our Father, we know like our Father knows. What does that mean? It means the Holy Spirit will tell us things that would otherwise not be known but God. Because God is our Father, we speak like our Father speaks. How does that happen? The more you read the Bible, the more you talk Bible. That doesn't mean you walk up to people and say, How art thou? Won't thou come with me yonder? No, not King James. But you'll speak in your tongue how God would speak. Isn't that awesome? How does that happen? The power of the living word of God. God. Because God is our father, we act like our father acts. Wow. Because God is our father, we see like our father sees. We see things. I don't mean we see things floating around. We see things. We can see behind things. The battles that we're in, the issues that we're in, no matter what it might be, we look at the powers behind what's causing the immediate now. Because God is our Father, we live like our Father lives. We live with the eternal perspective. Because God is our Father, we love like our Father loves. Isn't it amazing? Did you ever think in life you would ask God, God, give me more love for that person I can't stand? Let's be honest. God, I know I'm to love them, I want to love them but I can't stand them. I need your help, God. And God says, right on, here it is, boom. And he gives you his love for them who you cannot stand. Now you begin to love them. And you care for them. For time's sake, I'll speed this up. We are the children of God. I want to run through this and we'll close. It is absolutely universal In this world, that children hold great value. Isn't it amazing that God calls us his children? Why would he say such a thing? Because universally, throughout all of human history, from the beginning, Adam and Eve, children hold great value in all cultures. You see, Jack, I don't know if I agree with that, especially in this modern day age. Oh, no, no, no. This is what I said. Children hold great value in all cultures. Now, I think you're asking for specifics. Specifics. In your family, mom, dad, your child holds great value to you. They're yours, given to you by God. Do you not, listen, do you get that? But that same child holds great value in the eyes of the human trafficker. There's great value. One is sheer love and blessing. The other one is sheer profit and use. You think about our California legislature up there. Oh, they value kids big time, do they not? Apparently, they claim more than you do. Have we we drank the Kool-Aid to think that your child that you created and brought into this world and you have fed and burped and changed their diaper and went through all of the doctor visits and and sleepless nights that all of a sudden your child belongs to the state of California or the state of, of Michigan or the state of crazy? Parents, remarkable. Matthew 21, 14 Then the blind and the lame came to Jesus in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. These were kids. Hosanna. Look at Jesus. Hi, Jesus. They loved him. They became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Then Jesus left them. Boy, those words right there ought to haunt somebody. Those those arrogant, self-righteous, religious people were saying, shut those kids up. And Jesus says, haven't you read your Bible? Out of the mouth of children I've perfected praise. And then that verse 17 says Jesus left them. There's going to be a day when Jesus will leave them again. Psalm 127, verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. You guys can say amen to this, by the way. We need to start getting behind our kids and start protecting our children. If we love them, we're going to stand up for them. Mark chapter 10, verse 14, But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Ephesians 6, four. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Don't frustrate your child. Colossians 3.21 Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't put stumbling blocks in front of your kids. God takes that personally, how you treat children. Don't mess with kids. You mess with kids? Well, I, actually, if I just calm down. I'm going to get to the verse. Mark 9:42. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung about his neck and thrown into the sea. Jesus said that. Jesus said that about anybody that is out to harm children. And I don't care, in whatever area that is harmful to a child, God is against it. Mark those who want to sacrifice your child. Mark them. What is going on here? The clash of an unbelieving world, ladies and gentlemen. That's what's going on. I know you don't want to hear this in church. It's too real. It's too much tomorrow morning. But your children are the target. That shouldn't surprise you if you know your Bible. They always have been. And we live in a world now where the powers that be are out for your child I had somebody tell me just the other day and I had to use Christian Holy Spirit self-control this person said I'm really glad that I'm old and I'm going to be leaving this world soon it's all crazy and I said you get involved don't you? nope not me and I said do you have do you have grandkids? nope do you have kids? nope also it's all about you You're just riding this wave until it's over because you're old and you've lived your life while little kids are being pimped in our culture today. That made me sick. Remarkable. But Jesus will have the final word and he's going to say, if you offended a kid, you're going to be thrown, as it were, with a 2,000 pound millstone into the depths of the sea. I think we're all going to applaud at that moment. Luke 17.2, it would be better for him if a millstone were tied around his neck and he were thrown into the sea that he should offend one of these little ones. Matthew eighteen one. at that time the disciples came uh, to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Leave it up to these guys. <laughs> then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a... As little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he thrown into the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come. In other words, you live in a fallen world. But woe to the man by whom the offenses come. Do you allow it? Do you vote for it? Do you legislate it? Are you marketing it? Matthew 18, verse 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angel always sees the face of my father. That's a terrifying statement. Who is in heaven? Jesus is saying every child has got an angel that is assigned to that child, and if you hurt that child, that Offense is represented before God Almighty. And you may think you're getting away from it, but you haven't entered into judgment day yet. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Verse 14, for even so it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Jeremiah 1, verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose.